guys, if we would make our way back to our seats. We're beginning this morning a, a new series of looking in the book of Psalms at what it means to be a people who submit our emotional life to the reign of Christ. And so we're going to talk about this a little bit more, but we, we are emotional beings. Whether we want to admit it or not, some of you want to like stuff that down, some of you want to act like that's not important, it's a distraction to the truth, all kinds of things like that. But I think what we're going to learn in this season is that's the furthest from the biblical picture of what it means to be a disciple, what it means to be a person who is living a life in communion with God. And so I just, just want to encourage you to do that. I want to point you to a couple of resources that you might consider as an individual, as a group of friends, a fight club, even a missional community. One is a workbook called The Voice of the Heart, Voice of the Heart Bible Study. Sometimes it's hard to find. I think Amazon might be currently sold out. But, but it's, it's a great Bible study that will intertwine with a lot of these things, particularly as we go on this series. These first three weeks, we're going we're gonna to start with God because we have to be very careful on this issue. It's one that I, I'm kind of moving into here with some fear and trepidation. Because there is a, a lot of non-God-centered or man-centered ways to view our emotional life. And so these first three weeks, we're going to look at the God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And how knowing them is, is central to understanding who we are. And I just want to read this quote from a book. It says, The Bible has a lot to teach us about emotions. It is true that Scripture warns us about the dangers of emotions how they sometimes reflect our disoriented inner world and prompt us to hasty, unwise, and destructive actions. But it also teaches us that they are an indispensable part of being human and play a crucial role in our relationship with God and others. A careful study of the Bible can help us discard faulty assumptions so that we can engage our emotions rather than be ruled by them or run from them. And so we're going to do this through the book of Psalms, and today we're going to look at Psalm 102. Uh, these may not be like in our typical exegetical fashion, where we're going kind of verse by verse, uh, looking under every limb, under every leaf of the tree, but we're going to see a lot of good news from these Psalms that teach us what it means to be people who follow Jesus in the stuff of everyday life. So Psalm 102, you can read on the screen, you can follow along in your own Bible or your Bible app, but let us hear the word of the Lord. A prayer of one afflicted, when he is faint and pours out his complaint before the Lord. So if you didn't know, just to pause there, the, these little sections right here were not put in there by whichever Bible translation you have. Like, this is a part of the text. So it's important, important to see. A prayer of one afflicted, when he is faint, pours out his complaint before the Lord. Hear my prayer, O Lord, let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my distress. Incline your ear to me. Answer me speedily in the day when I call. For my days pass away like smoke. And my bones burn like a furnace. My heart is struck down like grass and is withered. I forget to eat my bread. Because of my loud groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. I'm like a desert owl of the wilderness, like an owl of the waste places. I lie awake. 
like a lonely sparrow on the housetop. All the day my enemies taunt me, those who deride me use my name for a curse. For I eat ashes like bread and mingle tears with my drink. Because of your indignation and anger, for you have taken me up and thrown me down. My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. But you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. You will arise and have pity on Zion. It is the time to favor her. The appointed time has come. For your servants hold her stones dear and have pity on her dust. Nations will fear the name of the Lord. And all the kings of the earth will fear your glory. For the Lord builds up Zion. He appears in His glory. He regards the prayer of the destitute. And does not despise their prayer. Let this be recorded for a generation to come so that the people yet to be created may praise the Lord. That He looked down from His holy height. From heaven the Lord looked at the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners. To set free those who were doomed to die. That they may declare in Zion the name of the Lord and in Jerusalem His praise when peoples gather together in kingdoms to worship the Lord. He has broken my strength in mid-course. He has shortened my days. Oh my God, I say. Take me not away in the midst of my days. You who ye whose years endure throughout all generations. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe and they will pass away. But you are the same. But you are the same. And your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. Father, may you add your blessing to your word. Jesus, might we see you and know you and follow you more closely through this truth. Spirit, might you enlighten the eyes of our heart to comprehend the breadth and the depth the love of God. In Jesus' name, amen. How have you learned to deal with emotion? You guys know sometimes we do this. So be honest. You could say, I'm, 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 I'm asking for a friend or I'm speaking for a friend. What are some ways that we learn to deal with emotions in our lives? Maybe a big question, but go for it. We can have a little awkward silence while we wait. Watching others? Good. What else? Journaling, stay busy, keep distracted. What else? What? Blow up and move on. You've never done that. Self-pity. Stuff them and pretend like you don't have to deal with them. We, we could go on and on. I recently saw an old video of of Dennis Rodman. Many of you may know who he is. If you don't follow sports, you may not, and pastors aren't supposed to use too many sports illustrations, blah, blah, blah. But anyway, Dennis Rodman, you know him, the wild, flamboyant player, helped the Bulls win their second three-peat. But before that, he grew up in a really tough life. It really surprised you if you learned and found out about it. 
But a part of it was is when he, he went to the Detroit Pistons and helped them win their back-to-back titles in 90 and 91, I believe, or no, 89 and 90, something like that. You guys can correct me. There we go. So in 1990, he wins Defensive Player of the Year. And you know, when these guys win these awards, they're all like super tough. You know, thank you. They're mumbling. You don't know what they're saying. But you know what he did? And you might not know this if you just know later life Dennis Rodman, the wild guy, the callous guy, the careless guy, is he breaks down in tears like a little baby. And I would say it's probably the most appropriate response you will ever find from him publicly. And the guy that's standing beside him, because, you know, men aren't supposed to act like that, especially in public. The guy who's standing beside him is just palpably uncomfortable and is like saying, relax, man, relax, man. (laughs) And and Dennis Rodman said, this was, I, I didn't know that I wasn't supposed to cry. This was like the greatest accomplishment that I thought I was ever going to achieve. And so he learned, yet again, to just push it in. The problem is, is when we push it in, it's going to come out some way. It's going to come out some way. It may not be in leopard print hair, but it may be in blowing up and moving on. It may be in just staying busy. It may be in detaching from the world. And every single person in here, you are not exempt, however you might think about yourself and emotions, is you've been discipled in one way or another by the world, by your family of origin, by a church world, especially if you grew up in one, on what it means to be an appropriate expression of an emotional life. Every one of us. Some of you grew up in homes. And you learned very quickly as a child that you had to be careful with how you felt. If I come into the house and I'm too excited and happy and Dad's had a bad day, that could go bad. So you learn very early on, I might have to walk on eggshells when I come into this because I don't know what kind of mood Mom or Dad's going to be in. And either way, it could be one of them's going to get angry and go off the rails if I'm too happy or if I'm too sad or somewhere in between. Or sometimes it's not the person that goes off the rails in anger is they're going to get depressed. Or they already were depressed. And so you learn, well, if, you know, mom spent all day in the bedroom sick, so how do I come home from school and say, Golly bum, I just feel all this shame right now because of what happened. Daddy's bad, mad, I better not show how I feel. Mom's depressed, so I better just go to my room. I might make it worse. Or everybody's crazy around here, so I think I'm just going to join in the crazy. You were all discipled. We were all discipled on how to deal with our emotions. And you all learn how to survive based on that. How do I respond? How do I feel? How do I relate with others and view my emotional world in a way that will work so that we can all cope and live together and deal with life? The question is, is has, has God ever taught you what it means to feel what you feel? 
I want you to close your eyes right now. I want to stick here for just a second. Nobody's going to come steal your money. Close your eyes and just listen to maybe what you've heard or what you've learned. Maybe it was a motion dismissing. Again, home, church, school, wherever. Hey, look on the bright side. There's no need to be angry. There's so many things you could be thankful for. It could be worse. Be a big boy. Be a big girl. Not a sissy. You were, it was communicated to you. Your emotions really aren't that important. We need to move on. Just continue to think. Maybe this is it. It wasn't just dismissing. It was disapproving. Stop crying or I'll give you something to cry about, boy. You know, let's just say something nice or not anything at all. Stop all that laughter. You're acting like an idiot. Emotions are stupid. Or maybe it was this sort of laissez-faire environment. You could express them, but there was no guidance. Oh, I can see you're sad. I can see you're mad. I can see you're afraid. We're all afraid. We're all sad. We're all mad. You can say it, but it's just there's no hope. There's no control. You can open your eyes now. This is why most of us are either completely controlled by our emotions or we are honestly just scared to death of them. Scared to death of them. We have learned to live without having to deal with them so long. Sometimes I say something like this to my wife. Some of you have heard this before. Could we have a conversation and just pretend we're robots? I really say this kind of stuff. Why? Because I think if, if we can just get the emotions out of it and, you know, just look at the issue, then it will maybe be okay. Because guess what? I won't have to be uncomfortable. It feels like we're on a roller coaster in life. And it feels like, and it's going to feel like as we go through this series, that, that we're tampering with stuff, that we're pulling threads that don't need to be pulled. And what I want to invite us to see through God's Word is that that is not some sort of uh, hyper-therapeutic, moralistic deism that's pulling on this thread trying to mess with people. Is that this is the Holy Spirit comes to get to our hearts. But it's hard. And a big reason that it's hard is it's hard to be a fallen emotional person in a world of other fallen emotional people. And the reason we're so afraid to share is just whether that was some of that's happened in your home growing up or your church or your world, is we know that if we, if we are honest that it's going to affect others. That we're all sort of wrapped up together. And some of you still go back in your head that if, that if I tell the truth about this, I'm going to be rejected, I'm going to be shamed, I'm going to be put down, I'm going to feel worse. That, that I'm going to open up this, this cave, this Pandora's box of pain. It's just going to burden everybody. It's just going to create more relational instability. So we all know it would just be so much easier to just stuff it or numb it. Or blow up and move on. And if we had time, we could factor in things like 
reactive attachment disorders, borderline personality disorders, narcissism, and all the various degrees of trauma that people have experienced in abuse and neglect, and sadly even in churches, emotionally manipulative leadership cultures that make this a subject that is very difficult to handle, and yet it could not be more essential if we truly are a church that says we want to follow Jesus in the stuff of everyday life. Because you cannot say, I'm going to follow Jesus in the stuff of everyday life and not deal with the emotional reality that you live in. We can't keep faking it and asking others to fake it. Here's another great thing that I do. Cassie, I have to preach on Sunday mornings. Could you just fake it on Saturday nights? Literal things that I say. Could we just all pretend on Saturday night that everything's great? Because that's how I've survived most of my life. Bad things are happening around me. Guess what? The fancy word I think is disassociation. I just act like they didn't happen. There's actually some things my brother talks to me about. And I'm like, I don't remember that happening. It worked. Problem is, God is a God of truth and reality. I think largely one reason we live in such a polarized culture and such a politically charged, not, not just, we don't see people just disagreeing about issues. We see people acting crazy. It's because nobody knows what to do with how they feel. We're afraid. So is there anywhere we can go? Is there anyone that we can go to who can handle all this? To find stability without denial, rejection, misunderstanding, presence, love, faithfulness, and power. Is there any trustworthy God who can help us learn to steward and live with our emotions without going crazy, without hurting ourselves and others? Is there a Father? Is there a Father who is safe and good, not too overwhelmed, didn't have too bad a day, has time for everything and anything going on in you. There is. What we want to see today is we have a Father who can handle our emotions and can hold us in. This is the foundation that we will lay the rest of this whole series on as we look at many of these things. We have a Father who can handle our emotions and hold us in them. You're not too much for Him. You may be for everybody else sometimes, but you're not for him. And so the first way that we see this in this text is really these first 24 verses is we know that we have a father who can handle our emotions and holds us in them is because he invites us to feel our feelings, to tell the truth about them, and to give them to him. He invites us to do that. He isn't just tolerating it. He isn't sitting back and just saying, here we go again. He just, he's, he's saying, come to me. Come to me, children. And now I'm going to teach you how to talk to me. I'm going to teach you how to do this. And the book of Psalms is how we learn to do this. 
The book of Psalms was Israel's prayer book. It was Israel's hymn book. It was, I'm going to teach my people how to not just have a Bible study, as great as my word is, I'm going to teach them how to have a relational, participatory communion with me from the depths of their heart. We're going to see in just a second. Some of you may have read the Psalms. You may just need to dive into them again because a lot of these Psalms would feel like utter blasphemy if you didn't have a view in the inerrancy and the inspiration of the Word of God. That you believe God wanted these in here and He wanted to teach us how to pray and how to commune with Him. We see in these verses, the first two verses, that the Lord is the listener. That the people of God were to have this posture that God is there. He's there. You can cry out to Him. Don't hide your face from me. Incline your ear to me. He's a God who invites us to be, as one music group says, all kinds of emotional. We see this in verses 3 through 11. Notice this depiction. My days pass away like smoke and my bones burn like a furnace. That's because our emotions aren't, aren't something that just happen in our spirit. It happens in our body. And the Psalms do this all the time. They're describing the, the sorrow, the emotions that they feel, whether it's joy, and a lot of times it's going to be joy and gladness and rejoicing, or whether it's sorrow and hurt and pain, but, but it acknowledges the physical reality. The tension, the pain in the body. My heart is struck down like grass and is withered. I forget to eat my bread. My loud groaning, because of my loud groaning, my bones cling to my flesh. And then he, he equates his experience like a desert owl. So this is this picture of, of loneliness. You're in, you feel like you're in this desert. A lonely sparrow on the housetop. And and everybody else is just laughing at you. And the text goes on in verses 9 through 11. I eat ashes like bread and mingle tears from my drink. What he's saying here is like, this is such a regular part of my life, it's like my diet. It's become like my diet. Drink ashes. I mean, eat ashes. And I drink tears. And then there's this wrestling with where God is in all of it because of your indignation and anger. For you've taken me down and thrown me up. God, I feel like you've got me. I feel like you're just tossing me around like I'm a toy. And yet then in verses 12 through 22, we see this announcement that, that God remains God. Verses 12 and 13, He is sovereign, yet He is sensitive to our hurt and pities us, the text says. Verses 14 through 17, He is feared in His glory, and yet He's faithful in our pain. Verses 18 through 22, He's transcendent or other than in His holiness, and yet He's imminent or near to us in our groaning. Verse 20, He Here's the groans of the prisoners to set free those who were doomed to die because He wants to set us free, verse 21, so that we might declare in Zion the name of our Lord. 
not because we figured out how to numb how we feel or to stuff how we feel, to deny it, to distract it, and detach from it, but because we have met him in it and found him to be God. So many people have a big God theology, they think, as a way to distract from actually dealing with the big hurt and pain deep in their lives. But a really big God theology that we find in the Psalms is a, is a big one that can say, I can bring all this stuff out here because I know a God who can handle it, who wants me to bring it to. I was recently talking to a friend that we've connected with through our MC and our life in the neighborhood, learning to, wanting to learn more about God, wanting to, to deal with some issues. And I said, well, story of God, let's start Genesis 1. Reading through Genesis 1, asking these questions about who is God, what has he done, who am I, what should we do, you know our questions. And, and there was just this, this, this palpable discomfort on, on, on their face. Because this person has been through a, a lot of extreme pain, suffering in, in their life, a lot of abuse. And I said, well, who is, who, what do you think this chapter teaches us about God? And I'm thinking, right? Little sheltered, churchy boy. Oh, he's a, he's a creator. He's good. He's wonderful. And you know what the response was? He's arrogant. He's a boss. And what's this stuff about him creating people to just praise him? What kind of person is that kind of like insecure that they would like, I need a world full of people who praise me. And, and my first gut was to, you know, pull out my, you know, Jonathan Edwards, John Piper, or whatever, and say, hey, let me teach you about how God is most satisfied and glorified in us. We're most satisfied in Him. Let, let me show you a theology of, of, of how actually God's glory and your joy go hand in hand and all this, and all that's good and true. But, but I felt prompted by the Spirit in a different direction. Because I could see this, this assumption was is God is a God who can't deal with reality. And so one of the express words was, I don't want to, they said, I don't want to hear about all these birds chirping and everybody being, being happy because what, what about this and this and this? And I, I'm not going to share because I want to honor and respect confidentiality. And so I felt led to go to the Psalms. I said, would you mind if I read you a couple Psalms? And so I went to Psalm 13. We've looked at this psalm as a church before. I said, hey, could I, could I show you some things, some other things in the Bible that God's given us? And it says this in Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all day? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Lighten up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. Now that psalm ends with a, with a praise and a trust in God. But we just wanted to sit in that a second. Did you know that God would let you talk like that? Not just let you talk like that, but He would say, this is how you need to talk. And then I said, what? I want to read one more. Psalm 88. And we're reading from the New Living Translation just to help understand. And I said, Look, could I read this? It's 
And I'm going to read it here now. O Lord God of my salvation, I cry out to you by day. I come to you at night. Now listen, hear my prayer, listen to my cry. So it's kind of like verses 1 and 2 here. It's, it's starting, God, will you hear me? And here's, here's this psalm inspired by the Holy Spirit. God's given to us to say, this is, this is how I want to teach you to deal with what's going on inside you. Just pray. My life is full of troubles and death draws near. I'm as good as dead. I'm like a strong man who has no strength left. They've left me among the dead and I lie like a corpse in the grave. I am forgotten, cut off from your care. You've thrown me into the lowest pit, into the darkest depths. Your anger weighs me down. With wave after wave, you have engulfed me. You have driven my friends away by making me repulsive with them. I'm in a trap with no way of escape. My eyes are blinded by tears. Each day I beg for your help, O oh Lord. I lift my hands to you for mercy. Are your wonderful deeds any use to the dead? Do the dead rise up and praise you? Can those in the grave declare your unfailing love? Can they proclaim your faithfulness in the place of destruction? Oh Lord, I cry out to you. I'll keep pleading day by day. Lord, why do you reject me? Why do you turn your face from me? I've been sick and close to death since my youth. I stand helpless and desperate before your terrors. Your fierce anger has overwhelmed me. Your terrors have paralyzed me. They swirl around me like floodwaters all day long. They have engulfed me completely. You have taken away my companions and loved ones. Darkness is my only friend. The end. That's the end of that song. And I looked up, no, no preacher exaggeration, and that hardened face now was covered in tears. This person does not know all our little cliches we use. These were the exact words, no exaggeration. For the first time in my life, I feel like somebody sees me. This person said, I had no idea anything like that was in the Bible. This person said, I had no idea that God would let me talk like that. I had no idea that God would basically be okay with me telling the truth about how I feel. See, our God is not a deistic, careless, tyrant creator, but a good father who says you can come to him with your feelings and you can tell the truth and you can give them to him. Some of you are dealing with your emotions like this. God, please help me to stop feeling this. That is not biblical. The Bible does not teach us to suppress, deny, distract, or defend our emotions, but to tell the truth. To tell the truth to God. Yes, they may not be based on full reality, but they are real in your experience, and you'll never get to the reality of the truth if you don't come to God with the reality of where you're at. But I can't trust my heart. Jeremiah 17, the heart is deceitful above all things. So what are you going to do? Just deal with it with yourself? You think you can trust your heart? You think you can trust your brain? But not your heart? So who can you trust? You can trust God. 
So we go to Him with all we think and feel. Some of you think you're ruling your emotions by suppressing Him, but the reality is if you ask the people you're in closest relationship with, they've probably got some hard things they want to say to you about how that stuff's coming out in other ways. You're just pushing them down in your body and they're being expressed whether you know it or not and they're creating, they're, they're creating destruction honestly probably in your life in ways you may not see now but you will see in years to come. And the sad thing is, this is so missional, this is so important, is that the world looks on the church and they say, I could never step into that space because all of those people have agreed to not tell the truth about the world so that they can cope with it. This is why people have said that religion is just opiate for the masses. This is why one, if former Christians, a word to use of my favorite band, Pedro, one of my favorite bands from early in life, Pedro the Lion, is to not go to hell, basically. They say, well, you have to join this group where you deny your senses and learn to be a stranger to yourself. This is not the Word of God. This is not the way of God. And we will never get the world to ask us for a reason for the faith that is within us and the hope that we have if we say we've just got to pretend. Because our joy will be dead and not lifted. God wants to give us joy and praise. We're not doing this series so we have you know, a 10 to 12 weeks of just hanging our head and thinking bad thoughts. No, we're doing it so the joy will rise, but it will be a joy that's rooted in truth. Some of you also are hiding in transparency. And this is, this is something I was learning more about this past week. You've probably heard this. There's a difference in being transparent and being vulnerable. There's a new way of learning this. It's helpful. Transparent is when you tell about stuff you did or stuff that happened to you. So preachers are the best at this, right? Get up and share this story about, you know, how I related with my wife. And everybody feels, oh, so close. But preachers are the best. That's, that's still, you can still hide behind that. And we all do it. Here's what being vulnerable is. is when you share how you felt when you experienced that. When you share not just what happened around you, but what was happening in you. And you risk that. Based on the Word of God, based on the book of Psalms, Psalm 102, is you need to pray that God will help you to feel everything He wants you to feel. I know that scares some of you to death. But you need to pray, God, help me feel everything you want me to feel. Can you trust Him enough to do that? Can you trust that He will not flood and overwhelm your system? Isn't it great that God doesn't show us all our sin at once? It would be so overwhelming. Isn't it great that God doesn't show us all our wounds at once? That would be too overwhelming. So you can trust Him enough to say, God, would you help me to feel everything you want me to feel and to tell the truth about it. Well, that is overwhelming. I'm overwhelmed. I like to stand up here and talk about things that I'm not going to totally go do. Welcome to my life as a preacher. But somebody's, we got to try, right? We got to try. So we need the next point. We need the next point. 
is we can't only trust that we have a Father who can handle our emotions and hold us in them because He invites us to tell the truth about them, but because He is both relatable, and we're going to get into some deep theology in the short time we have left here, He is immutable. He's unchanging. And if you really want a $5 theological word, He's impassable. We'll get, on, get to that in a second. This is some deep stuff about God, but we need to see however deep the stuff is in our heart. The well of God's glory and grace is deeper. He can handle it. And why? Because He is relatable and immutable. We know the relatable text. I mean, we just read one. God said, I want that in the Bible. And if you read the Bible, it is full of real life. It's full, the, the resounding note is the joy of the victory of God, but again, the, the, the joy and the victory of the kingdom of Christ is a victory over the kingdom of darkness. I mean, isn't the good news that the, the light came into the world and the darkness could not overwhelm it? But the light shines over the darkness, so the Bible is full of real life. There's rapes in the Bible. There's violence in the Bible. There's child abuse in the Bible. There's suffering in the Bible. And there's all the emotions that go all around all that stuff. And then there's how God is, is given to us as responding and relating in those things. And we see that God hates. Proverbs 6.16 God loves many verses. God rejoices. Psalm 104.31 God laughs. Psalm 37, 12. God is pleased, 1 Kings 3, 10. God is displeased, Numbers 11, 1. God has anger, Exodus 4, 14. God grieves, Genesis 6, 6. But it's important for us to see that although God is a God who can relate with us in all of these various emotionally descriptive ways, that He is not controlled by anything that happens in this world and He is not changed by it. This is one of those times where you just got to beat the drum of how practical theology is, how practical knowing the truth of God's Word. That's all theology means, right? The knowledge of God. If your vision of God is a God like that dad or mom that you had that might be having a bad day, and so you need to be careful how you approach Him, or when you mess up, he might fly off the handle. Like if your view of God is more like Zeus, like the, the deity that's ready to zap you with this, or if, or if your God is, is like Buddha and just wants you to detach from it, or if your God is, is, is a God of your own imagination, then you might think, well, how he responds is how I respond is how he responds. Then you will not go to him and you will have no stability in your life. Verses 25 through 27, though, point us to a God who is greater than all our groaning. So see these verses 25 through 27. Jonathan, if you click there. Of old you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they will pass away. So there's all kinds of changing going on in us, around us, the world. Verse 27, but you are the same, and your years have no end. He is the same. What good news for us changing, emotional, roller coasting, crazy folks. And we're all that. And God is the same. Malachi 3.6 I am God. I do not change. 
For I, the Lord, do not change. And then it's this line. Therefore you, O Jacob, are not consumed. The only explanation for why Israel wasn't wiped off the face of the earth is because God did not change. Israel changed all the time, but He was faithful. The God of the Exodus is the God of the wilderness. The God of the wilderness is the God of the kingdom. The God on Sunday is the God on Thursday. The God when you just did the worst sin is the God when you just had the best Bible study. James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. So it's not just, well, he doesn't really change in the big stuff, but he changes the little stuff. No, he doesn't change at all. He's relatable, and yet he is immutable. So what about all this language of his emotions in the scriptures? We don't have time for me to talk about the God repented, God regretted language. I got a big section on that. You guys who get stuck on that, we can talk later. There's a fancy way that people have talked about this affection language in the scriptures. One way, fancy words, is, is univocal language. That is, it's, it's, it's this different. So if, if it says God grieved, then we think, well... Then, but he didn't grieve like us. Or there's equivocal. I, I hate using all this terminology, but hope I feel like it's important. And this means it's, diff, it's, it's different. No, it's exactly the same. So it would be like, oh, God grieved and I grieved. Our grief is the same. But the way that the biblical writers talk about these things, and we can see it in the way they contrast texts, where it would say God regretted this, and then it would say, but God is not like a man to have regrets. It's like, well, what does that mean? Is, is the language is used in an analogical way, like an analogy. So it's like us, but it's not the same. And this, is, this makes perfect sense because we're created in the image of God, but we're not God. This is what Psalm 102 is showing, the creator-the-creature distinction. In His image, we relate, but in His Godness, we have stability. We have stability. God delights, one writer says, in the goodness of His creation and in obedience. He has compassion for the suffering and hears their cry. He grieves over the creation's self-destructive sin. He's angry at evil, injustice, and wickedness. But the Lord who freely enters into covenantal relationships with His creatures is never blindsided or manipulated by them like we are. Instead, God loves in His fullness. While it is true and right to say that God loves, delights, grieves, and is jealous, there is a fundamental difference and distinction between God's affections and our own creaturely ones. Unlike our own emotional lives, God's affections are never distorted through sinful, disordered passions, nor are they ever controlled by greater powers. And it's precisely because of this that God is free of uncontrollable vengeance, that he's free from being a God who's just react, a reactor. That repentant sinners can approach him without despair. You know what you're going to get. Every time. God in his manifold perfections of holiness, justice, grace, love, and glory. 
Far from being a barrier to His divine care and loving kindness, God's divine unchangeableness is the very foundation of that care and kindness. Think about this. Imagine that your house suddenly caught on fire. It's from another book. As you escape the flames and watch from the streets, you realize your child is still inside that house. What if in that moment a neighbor ran up to you and wanting to really get in on your pain, lit themselves on fire? Would you be like, oh, I'm so glad that I have somebody else here with me who really understands what I'm going through? Now that, that sounds absurd, but I want to think, this is sometimes how we try to down God, downplay God, is we try to make His, His emotional expressions like ours. And so it's like, here's the comfort I want to give you in your pain, is I'm just in your pain with you. Just like you. Just the same. We're just here on fire. Let's just light each other on fire. No, naturally you'd look at them as if they were insane. Who do you need in that moment? You need a firefighter who can with a steady, controlled confidence survey the situation, feel the seriousness of it, relate with you in it, but in his calmness, get in that house and get your kid out. You don't need him to be just like you in that moment. And the point is, a God, if we have a God who suffers like we do and is subject to emotional change like we are, it's not all that comforting. A God who suffers just like us may be like us, but He can't rescue us. He becomes just as helpless as we are. The good news of God's unchanging nature, that He is both relatable to us. He's not a rock, like remember, well, I'm showing my age, there was a pet rock at one point. People would go and buy a pet rock. So if you're cool and trendy, you can go buy you a pet rock. It's not like that, like He's just this static. No, He's relatable, but He's immovable. That means He can handle you. He can hold you. You may have had some people in your life you shared how you felt and it changed the way they related to you after that. And you told yourself, I've had this happen to me. I'll never do anything like that again. I remember one time sharing with somebody about how I felt about a, a tough season Cassie and I were going through in our marriage and it was like crickets in the room. And I told myself that day, uh-uh, not again, not again. Some of you are running to false gods to help you feel stable. Maybe not in this room, but I know in this neighborhood. I can count on that drug. It's unchanging. But, I mean, you're just, you're just attributing this, this, this characteristic of God to a drug, to a substance. I know what's going to be there for me. I, and if you're honest, we're just saying, I don't know that God will be. The immobility of God, His unchanging nature, is such a resting place for us that we can go to Him. From a place of security. That we might overwhelm everybody else sometimes, but you're not going to overwhelm Him. You're not going to overwhelm Him. 
in your seats you have these cards. This may be something practical that you need, you need to do. Once we get through these first few weeks, we're going to go through each of these. But I want you to take this and maybe begin to, to let it help you do this. Some of you, somebody were to ask you, how do you feel? And you're going to be like me most of my life and still to some degree. And you're going to say, I don't know. Or you'll say the other extreme, all of them. So welcome to my life. I don't know. Or all of them. And you just need to start on this one side real easily is I'm just going to start my prayer time with God and I'm going to just name one of these I'm feeling. I'm going to just offer those up to God without defense, without distraction, without denial. But maybe you're asking, will my life just become one big overwhelming experience? That's what I've thought when I've tried to learn some about this stuff. So our, our last verse, and just quickly here, is we not only know that God comes to, is big enough to handle our emotions and hold us in them because He invites us to, to get real and tell the truth, and because He's unchanging, relatable yet immutable, but also because He gives us security of a future hope. Verse 28, the children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. This psalm ends on a note of hope even as it was drenched with the melody of hurt. There is this promise here that even as we experience affliction of the soul, even as we may feel lonely like that sparrow on the housetop or that desert owl, even as we may think at times that we eat ashes for lunch and, and drink tears for supper, that we have an eternal God who is bigger than our temporal pain because God's children are not left alone because we have a present hope. They rooted their faith in the covenant faithfulness of God and so must we, but we have a greater foundation than even they had to rest in the fact that God's unchanging nature isn't just resting in who He is, but it's also giving us hope in what He's done. Because we look back through to Psalm 102 through the finished work of Jesus. Jesus did not go to the cross as a loner. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit united together to execute the eternal plan to free us from sin and suffering because they could bear it. You're right. You can't handle it. I can't handle it. You come to me as your pastor and you say, can you handle this? I just got to tell you, I can't handle it all. I might want to help you, but I can't handle it. I'll probably walk away crying and feeling worse than you do. I'm not saying don't come to me. I'm just telling you the truth. But Jesus can. He has. He went to a cross and He bore it all. That's how big our God is. All the sin, all the suffering, all the satanic attacks on our world and our bodies and our souls, and He took it all in our place. Your emotions may be too much to bear, but it's not too much for Him to bear. Your sin and guilt and shame may be too much for other people to hear about, you think. People may abandon you. People may judge you. People may now start acting weird around you. But not God. He already knew it all. And He didn't walk away from you. He ran to you. 
he ran to. The cross is the ultimate sign. His immutable passion for you and his immutable victory for you. So you can trust that you have a father who can handle it all and hold you in it all as you bring it to him. Father, we thank you for Jesus that he bore it all for us. And as we come now to his table, may we not come with our heads hung low. May we not come discouraged. May we not come as if we're celebrating his funeral, but may we come in the hope of the resurrection. May we come as those who raise the glass of victory because however great our sin and suffering is, we have a greater Savior. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Each week we respond to God's word by coming to God's table. And I want to say a couple things. You've got these questions up here you can look and reflect on. Is when we come to the Lord's table and we circle up around it, is some of you have been to communion, Lord's Supper experiences, and it was like, really was like you were going to Jesus' funeral or something. So like everybody, all of a sudden, everybody feels bad as they can feel. Feel really bad. Sit really still. And if you're like me as a kid, maybe you're like, man, I'm glad we only do this once a quarter. This, this is not what the communion was like in the New Testament a celebration of the victory of God through Jesus Christ. It was toasting to the king who's defeated sin and suffering. And I don't want you to manufacture it and I don't want you to be fake. But when you come and gather around this table with your fellow believers, with your family, and if you're not a believer, still join with us. The, the bread and the cup is not yours to take because Jesus is yours to take. If you want to take Him for the first time, take Him. Take that bread and cup in response to that. But as you gather around together, you may confess sin, but let's let the note of, of gospel joy ring. If someone shares something, encourage them. Encourage them based on the finished work of Christ. Let's let His stability that we find in the bread and the cup and His finished work flow through us. We need one another. This is why Jesus said to do this. We need to remember His victory and we need to remember it together. So I'll pray and then we'll circle up around the tables. If you're new here and you've never like did this before, you might want to come up here to my table. Just welcome you to, to do that. And, and I can maybe give a little more explanation. That might make you feel more comfortable. And, but if not, you can jump in somewhere else. But let's pray and, and let's go to the Lord's table. Father, we thank You that it is finished. And yet we're not. So help us now as we take the bread and the cup to live in that already not yet reality with hope and joy. Reminding one another that what you've begun you will bring to completion. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Let's go now to the Lord's table.